Hey, um, I want to give a quick update on our facility. Um, you know, we've outgrown our space last week. I took the week off and went out of town to be with a friend. I got back and heard we've had the most people we've ever had. We I broke a attendance record like by a mile. And uh, I got an idea. I'm just going to be gone a lot. <laughs> and uh, apparently the word gets out that I'm not here and everyone comes and shows up. And so uh, I think that might be a recipe for church growth. I'm not sure. But um, we have outgrown our space. And we believe that every meaningful work has its beginnings in prayer. And I think we've got that. Let's put it up here. That's just true for, for everything. And uh, this next, you know, honestly, we don't know what God's up to, where exactly he's leading us, but we know it's somewhere. And so um, I don't know if you have, if you find one of these, or surely we have some around. Um, these are just some ways you can fast and pray. And on the back is some prayer points. And we've been um, encouraging people to fast on Fridays. That's what I've been doing. Um, but you can fast anytime. But uh, I really believe that before the Lord moves us forward, what he really is seeking to do is gather us up as a church family and get us all on the same page. And the easiest way to do that is to fast and pray together. It's been really a blessing to get some of the note cards that come in where people text me like things the Lord's placing on their heart. And um, I, that just makes me feel so great that, that so many of y'all are caring and that you are fasting, you are praying. And if you haven't done that yet, um, I want to encourage you to, to um, you know, get off the proverbial bench and get on the field and, and, and play with us. In fact, what I'm this is crazy, but... I'm asking the Lord to show like seven or eight people our next space before me, because I think that would be so great if like we as a church got clear discernment and it didn't start with me. That's what I'm praying for. And I like to be the first one. So um, maybe that's a, a miracle that God's working in my heart. So this is quick up, quick update. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 40 today and talk about Joseph being in prison. Uh, if you want to turn there, you certainly can. It's page 33 in the the hardback black Bibles around Genesis 40. One of the great things that to know about us as humans is we are story people. We understand things through story. That's why Jesus taught mostly with parables is because we, we make sense of things through story. And we also like to find our entertainment through story. Exhibit A, Netflix, and the billions that we give them every year. People love to relax with story. And um, with stories, we like there to be resolution. We like there to be a nice um, ending. Uh, if you watch The Godfather, you hated the ending because it didn't end with resolution. It just cut off in the middle of a sentence. I don't know if any of you ever watched The Godfather. You're Godfather people. But like people who were diehard Godfather fans hated the ending because it wasn't an ending. It was just, they just stopped recording. And they did that on purpose just to mess with people. But we like endings. We like resolution. And even in our stories, we like an arc. We like movement. We like progress. Even if it's going in a bad direction, we like movement. Whether it's through a book or at the movie theater or on Netflix, uh, we like to see progress. So what's crazy about the Joseph story is, um, and at the end of it, in, Joseph, in Genesis 50, we will, we will see resolution. But so far, each episode or scene we've been looking at begins somewhere and ends another way. So it begins with Joseph having these two dreams, a pair of dreams, and it ends, he's on his way to Egypt as a slave. Um, and then, you know, last week, I think we looked at 
and I wasn't here, so I'm assuming y'all looked at um, Joseph. It starts in Potiphar's house and ends with him on the way to prison, right? Not ideal, not resolution, but there's movement. But what today we look at is a really tough chapter because the way our scene ends or the way the episode ends is exactly how it begins with Joseph forgotten in prison. And there is no movement. There is no forward progress. And there's a lot that we can learn from from that very uncomfortable story that God is speaking to us. And maybe you feel like you're in this moment where there isn't progress. You feel stuck in life or there's suffering you're going through and it's just not, you're not getting the resolution or you're not even giving the movement. I hope that God has a really clear word for you today. So let's go to Genesis 40. I think all of you are there except for me, my bad. We'll read the whole chapter and then we'll double back and I want to point out some really amazing um, lessons that are in here we can learn from. Let's start. Genesis 40, verse 1. Actually, let's back up. Sorry. Let's go um, to 39 at the end. Where do we want to start? Um, let's go to verse 21 of 39, because I, I want, just in case you missed uh, last week. So Joseph is, is on his way to prison. He had this incredible job in Potiphar's house. He's falsely accused, and so does the boss. Fires him and throws him into prison. And here's verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed, which is this incredible lesson that even in the pit, even in prison, we have Emmanuel. We have God with us, right? Like you may be suffering and in pain, but you have Emmanuel. It's the good news is God is with you. He's not Zeus detached from you. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. So good. Now, there's a little theme because we see this phrase, because the Lord was with Joseph, tending to Joseph. Now, see if you can find that show up in Joseph's life in verse 1, chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. Very much how God was with Joseph. He asked Joseph to be with these other people. What God does uh, in you, he wants to do through you. It's really amazing right there. And Joseph attended them. They continued for some time in custody. One night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. 
Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, uh, this is its interpretation, the three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Interesting that Joseph calls prison a pit. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also have a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of my basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. Three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. There you go. I want to show you a couple of things. Let's look at uh, the first four verses. Um, I didn't, when I first read this, I thought, why is the author going out of the way to mention the titles of these men? He keeps mentioning their job title. This is great, okay? So, um, notice here, these are just the first four verses. It says, the cupbearer of the king and the, his baker, the king's baker, they actually committed an offense an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. So these two men, and actually it will um, specify that they were officers and they were chief cupbearers. So they weren't just, you know, help in the kitchen. These guys were in charge. They were, they were chief cupbearers and chief bakers. And he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. So right here you see the word custody, confined, I think in the next uh, section of verse, it says custody again. So I think what the author here is trying to point out to us is Joseph's in custody, says that three times. He's in a pit, he's in prison, and he's got no way to make bail. He's not going anywhere. He's in a place that he is completely powerless to get out of. He's confined, he's in custody. And he'll say that in the next section as well. Okay, so you have Joseph, who was the chief of staff, basically, of Potiphar's house. And he was falsely accused of sinning against his master. In fact, Joseph worked really, really hard to not sin against his master, and which caused uh, Pharaoh's wife to get um, kind of embarrassed and accuse him of the sin. And so here we have a story where we have a chief of staff who did not sin against his master, and yet he is asked to serve two other chiefs who did sin against their master. This week, read that chapter again and notice how often their titles come out. And it's as if the, 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 the writer is trying to subtly like paint this picture of how would you be if you were 
innocent and you were placed in prison and you can't get out and you can't make bail, but you had two coworkers who were actually guilty of the thing you were accused of and it fell to you to serve them and make sure that they were okay. How would that fly with you? Now what's crazy is we see a little bit of movement in Joseph's character. It says here he attended them and they, this continued for some time. So this is not a one-term occurrence. Go to the next uh, section here. It says, um, one night they both dreamed. Now this is so fascinating. This is a side note. Isn't it interesting that it was a pair of dreams that got Joseph into the pit? And here, what Joseph thinks is that it's a pair of dreams that's going to get him out of the pit. Fascinating little detail that a lot of people don't make the connection between the beginning of the story, but we see these, this theme of, of um, two dreams showing up. Again, it highlights cupbearer, baker of the king. They were confined again, doubling down on, he couldn't make bail. They each had their own dream. Now, this is, this is awesome. I want to give Joseph some like golf claps here. This is great. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And so he asked the officers again, Pharaoh's officers, highlighting again, who were with him in custody again. <laughs> you see, like, it's belaboring the point here. Um, he, he sees that they're in trouble, and then he asks them a question. Why are your faces downcast today? Can I be just straight? If I'm Joseph, and I'm falsely accused, and my fellow coworkers are actually guilty of this um, offense, and then I get in prison, and I got to have a job to take care of them, um, I'm probably, first of all, not even noticing that they're in trouble because I'm pretty ticked off and angry and sulking and just so consumed on my plight that I'm not even recognizing the plight of others. I think this is, an ama- this is amazing that Joseph at least sees that they were troubled, but he doesn't just notice that they're in trouble. He actually takes the initiative and he says, why are your faces downcast? Now, if you're in... Um, a season where you're like Joseph and you're like, I feel like I'm in prison. I feel like I'm in a situation that's less than ideal and it's awful. Here's a great question. Do you notice the people who are in pain around you? Or are you so wrapped up in your own pain that you can't see that there's other stories that are being lived out? And perhaps, maybe, God has you in a place where you can lift your eyes out of your own pit and look at the plight of other people and maybe have compassion and empathy towards them. And this is a great, this is like Philippians 2, considering the needs of others also, not just your own self. This is incredible. I mean, we give Joseph a hard time for being Justin Bieber and being so arrogant and self-centered. He's in prison and he's not being self-centered. He's considering the needs of other people. It's amazing. Now we're going we're gonna to give it to him. Now, this is great. Uh, he says, why, why are you downcast? And then... Um, This last little sentence here, Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. This is fascinating. Okay, so Joseph has these pair of dreams. One of them at the very beginning is he dreams that he's literally the center of the universe. He dreams that the sun and moon and the stars orbit around him and bow down. If that's not the center of the universe, I don't know what is, okay? So... um, if, I, if you were to say, Drew, um, get your children's crayons and quickly sketch out the first scene, I would draw like a big circle with a crude crayon. This is the universe, and Joseph is in the center. 
And then I wouldn't even draw God in it because God's not even mentioned in that section, okay? Then if you said, now draw the next scene, which would be uh, Joseph in Potiphar's house, I would draw the same circle. Here's the universe. Here's Joseph. And then I would draw Joseph in the center. And then I would draw God like halfway in because Joseph at least mentions how could he sin against God in the, the scene where there's Potiphar, okay? Now in this scene, I would take a third piece of paper, draw a crayon, you get my crayon, draw a circle, and I would put Joseph and God in the center of the universe. And you see this progression. We know, because we can see all the story, that God is trying to get Joseph at the edge of the universe so that God can be at the center of the universe where it's God's rightful place. And this is our problem. We think we're the center of the universe and we hardly ever give mention to God. So this little line here gives us a clue that um, Joseph is allowing God to be the center of the story. He says, Don't, do not interpretations belong to God. Crayon, God's in the center of the universe. But Joseph says, but me and God are buddies. Why don't you tell it to me? This is fat. Now, this is not how he answers this when he's um, in front of Pharaoh. He answers it slightly differently, and it's more nuanced. But we get this section, even though Joseph is caring for the people who are around him, which would be difficult to do if you're tasked to serve your coworkers who are actually guilty. Um, he does start to see other people, but he's still at the center of everything. And he's still saying, me and God are at the center of this. God can interpret those. Why don't you tell them to me? And so the story ends the same way it begins. What's our next, what's our next slide? Okay, so the, the chief cupbearer, he tells him his dream. Um, what's awesome about this, this is great, go back, go back, um, is that time is sped up. Uh, like the natural process of grapes turning into wine is just sped up. And, we kind of, and people wonder, does Joseph think that his freedom is about to happen quickly because he interprets the cluster of grapes going directly and pressing them into the cup and then being wine. It's interesting. That's actually not what happens in Joseph's situation. Uh, go to the next slide. Joseph, uh, okay, so he, he gives this favorable interpretation, which was true. And then here's where Joseph begins to do what his daddy does. Now, um, if, you're, if you're new, if you missed it, we've talked about how Joseph's story is very similar to his dad's story. His dad is Jacob. And the name Jacob means cheat or cheater. And I would add on to that to help us understand. It's not that Jacob cheated on a test. Um, Jacob was a manipulator. He was a schemer. He was a hustler. Jacob, what, Jacob was saying basically, yes, God, I know you're going to bless me, but I don't trust your way and your time, so I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to trick Esau. I'm going to trick Isaac. And so Jacob, his whole character and his life is summarized by I don't trust God to do the right thing in the right time, so I'm going to manufacture it and strive and scheme to make it happen how I think it should happen. That's basically Jacob. And so anytime you Jacob something, you're getting ahead of what God's doing, right? Okay, and we're with our facility, we're trying not to Jacob the thing. We're like, all right, Lord, we're going to fast and pray and let you do it. And uh, we can go out and try to buy something, but like, no, Lord, we don't want to Jacob this thing. Here in this section... Okay, as much, as, as much progress that Joseph has made in his character, this little line here, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me, he, he's got a plan. Joseph is Jacobing. Joseph is scheming. He's manipulating. 
And then he goes into defense mode. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into it. So the true colors really come out, right? And he's right. He did do nothing to get him into that. But he doesn't deserve to be there. But, but Joseph will not let God defend him. He's, he says, wait, I'm really good at this dream stuff. I've been good at it for a long time. And so maybe... I could use my strengths and my giftings to get me out of this unfavorable situation. Let me tell them their dreams, and then just in case they don't land here, let me give them instruction. So once they get out, they can get me out. And Joseph, as great as he, as much progress as he's done, Joseph is Jacobing. He's not fully trusting what God is doing. Now I want you just to, to I want you to remember, remember. That's a huge, 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 huge word in this story. Let's go to the next slide here. The chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, and the chief baker starts to Jacob. Hey, if that's how it's going to work, let me tell you my dream. And so the chief baker starts to uh, manufacture and say, let me get on this. I also had a dream, and he dreams that uh, there's some bread on his head. Joseph answers, hey, buddy, it's not good news. Um, Yeah, Pharaoh's going to lift your head from you. He's going to, remember this, hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you, which, don't you know the Egyptians were OCD on how dead bodies should be handled? Like, you know, mummies. Like, like if there was ever a culture who was, like, overly uh, concerned with the proper care for a body, who had, uh, you know, a person who had died, it was the Egyptians. And Joseph tells an Egyptian, no mummy for you just ravens, just vultures. Like that's beyond bad news for an Egyptian. But he says, no, you baker, um, you're going to hang on a tree. And what's the next What's the next slide here? On the third day, which is Pharaoh's birthday, everything happened as Joseph had um, interpreted. And yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. So it's interesting. Joseph sees the cupbearer and the baker, and he says, let me get out of this. And he tells the cupbearer, remember me. But the cupbearer doesn't remember him. Now, if you go to the next chapter, which is 41, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Just a couple words, four words. The next, right, after two whole years. How do you like the novels? Two whole years. So, Imagine, you're Joseph, you think, finally, my strengths, opportunity, I'm going to make it happen, the cupbearer, like, oh my, the dreams actually happen exactly, you're feeling good about yourself, you're thinking, all right, maybe next week the cupbearer is going to remember me, and two years later. We were talking about this with our team, and um, uh, Jake made the observation that to Joseph, this situation looks like it's light at the end of the tunnel. And what it actually is, is one more lamp along the path of pain. And then um, Rachel said, well, at least it's not the headlight of a train, <laughs> you know, to hit you. But Joseph probably felt like a train had hit him. Because he thought, finally, I'm out of this prison. Light at the end of the tunnel. And yet... Pain continues for two more years. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like 
You were on the verge of breakthrough, and it was finally going to happen, and it was just another lamp on the path of pain. And seemingly, you think God's not answering your prayers. And you might even think God's cruel. How could God allow this? Joseph is in this for two years, and he, he has a choice on what to do. Now, I want to, um, what, here's, here's what's great, is that we have the, the benefit of reading all these chapters, and we get to know. We see the arc. We see the movement. We see the resolution. We see Genesis 50, where Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. We see that God has this great plan that over 14 years, he's going to use Joseph to be the prime minister of Egypt, the superpower. Like Egypt is the superpower of their day, and Joseph gets to be the number two person in the, in the, the largest and most powerful country in that time. And he has this idea, and he actually helps them through a time of famine. We know all that. Joseph doesn't know that. And Joseph has to be thinking, God, what, what's going on here? What's God trying to do with Joseph in this situation? My, my observation is that God is trying to get Joseph to the end of the universe. He's trying to allow Joseph to get to the end of himself so that God can actually be a blessing and use him in such a powerful way in the greatest nation at that time. But if Joseph has, a, has any arrogance or ego involved, God is not, it's going to go bad. Okay? And so God has to get Joseph to a place of complete surrender and dependence. Now, there's this, um, there's this uh, A.W. Tozer quote. I couldn't find it exactly, but um, uh, Tozer said, he's, this, you're going to hate this, but it's so good. Um, it, <laughs> raise yourself. Um, Tozer said something along the lines of, Jesus never said, build your own cross and follow me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And what's implied in that and the observation that Tozer makes is that Jesus does not ask us to manufacture the tool that is um, supposed to bring ourselves to death. Because if you said, Drew, build your cross and follow me, that sucker would be ergonomic. <laughs> it would have a TV. It would have like, um, like an endless supply of Dr. Pepper. It would have a spot to put a bowl of Boom Chicka Pop. You know, like it would be, here's the deal. If I build my cross, it's not doing the job. Because I'm motivated by empathy for myself. And so what Tozer say is, when Jesus says, um, take up your cross and follow me, it's an invitation to, on some levels, accept the pain that often comes through other people and circumstances and allow it to do the job, which is to crucify your flesh and your sinful nature. Because if, if I'm tasked to do, I, I don't handle pain very well. My cross is going to be ergonomic if I design it. I wonder if, that's, if, that, if you feel that way. Do you feel like the cross you're bearing other people have built for you? Yeah, it's awful, right? Well, this is, what, this is where Joseph is in. God is inviting Joseph to take up the cross, so to speak, and follow him and to completely and 100% die to himself. And Joseph is close. He starts to notice other people. He's caring about other people, but he's still got a little bit of Jacob in him. He's still trying to manufacture. He's still trying to, 
scheme his way through the pain and the suffering. And so God says, oh, two more years. The cupbearer is not going to remember you. Sorry if that's you know, not the most encouraging thing, but that's um, often what God is up to. I want to um, read Romans 5, 3 through 5. This is a great, a great verse. Something that St. Paul learned a lot about suffering. He says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to offer you two elements of good news if you are in a season of pain, if you are in a season of confusion, or whenever, remember these whenever you are because we all find ourselves in these seasons. Here's two things I want to share with you. The first is that God is up to something. Oftentimes, when people are in pain, when people don't understand why things don't work out the way they want them to work out, they assume that God's left them. And I would say the opposite is true. God is with you. God is with Joseph in Potiphar's house. God is with Joseph in the pit. God is with Joseph in prison. God will be with Joseph in the palace, and God will be with Joseph when his brothers show up. It's the good news of Jesus is that he is Emmanuel. He is with you. C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone. If you are in pain, instead of interpreting it as God has left you, perhaps you should interpret it as God is with you and he wants to do something in your life. God will pull you through if you don't mind the pulling. The problem is I mind the pulling. Psalms 34, 18 says, God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalms 46, 1, one of my favorites. God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in time of need. Isaiah 42, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace and help to the humble. Psalms 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me. Whenever you find yourselves in seasons of suffering and pain and trials and you, don't, you can't make sense of it, pain is God's megaphone. God is with you. Often we pray the prayer. God, get me out of this. But maybe we should pray the prayer. God, get your spirit inside of me so that I can follow through. This is the, this is the, the tail end of Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the spirit. Listen, if you're in pain and you don't have the spirit in you or you're not welcoming the spirit in you, Sorry, like, there's no hope. It's the Spirit's job to be our comforter, to be our guide, to be the revealer of truth. We often pray, Lord, get me out of the situation, and instead I think we should be praying, God, get more of your Spirit in me so I can make it through. Now, here's, um, here's what's so great. Uh, we're committed to finding the gospel in all, these, in all these situations. One of my favorite quotes is, in the Old Testament, we find that the gospel is concealed. And in the New Testament, we find the gospel is revealed. What's amazing is in Genesis 40, the gospel is so 
deeply concealed that's so beautiful. Have you ever noticed the characters that are in the story? Have you ever noticed that Joseph is in the pit? And there's a cupbearer. And there's a baker. Have you ever noticed that he says to the cupbearer, remember me, which is the same thing the thief on the cross says to Jesus. He says, remember me. The thief says, when you get to the other side of your suffering, will you pull me through? Joseph says to the cupbearer, when you get on the other side of your suffering, will you remember me and pull me through? It's an amazing little hint to the hill of Golgotha. But there's a baker whose fate is to hang on a tree. But the good news is that it is the bread of life who hangs on the tree for us. So great that even the, the elements of communion and the, the, the imagery of blood and wine and, and the body and bread, even before communion is instituted in the Exodus, is already beginning to foreshadow in Genesis 40. I've read Genesis 40 a million times, and I didn't um, see the cupbearer and the baker until Friday at 4.30. <laughs> so amazing. And it is the cupbearer. It is um, the bread of life who turns to us. And on the night he was betrayed, he said to us, remember me. Joseph is saying, remember me. The thief on the cross is saying, remember me. But Jesus says to us, who is the cupbearer, who is the bread of life, remember me. And when we come to the table, it's a table of suffering. It's a table where there is a broken life, there's broken dreams, there's blood that is spilled. But we have hope and glory and peace and grace through suffering. So as you come this morning to... Um, receive into worship, I want to encourage you. Don't despise the suffering in your life. Don't despise the pain. That's, I know, it's not comfortable, I know. Bring your suffering and your pain to the chief cupbearer and the chief bread of life. And allow God to do a full work of redemption in you. And it might not happen in your time, and it might not happen in your way, but God will do it. What's fascinating is if the cupbearer would have remembered Joseph, it would have been two years too soon. He would have missed his moment, and Egypt wouldn't have been saved, and Israel wouldn't have been saved, and there would be no uh, redemption with Joseph's family. And Joseph would have never learned that Reuben tried to save him, and Joseph would have never learned that Jacob thought he was dead. And, jo and Joseph would not have had um, closure. God's timing is right. It's not our timing. But it took another two years for Joseph to get to the end of himself, and it took another two years until everything lined up so that Joseph could be a blessing to many nations and fulfill Abraham's call, but also so that he could find the closure that he needed with his family. God will pull you through if you don't mind the pulling. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are an incredible leader that we can trust even when we don't understand and even when life doesn't make sense. Thank you, God, that you are a God of suffering and that you welcome the pain 
and you deal with it head on, even when we don't understand the timing or the purpose. I pray for everyone listening right now, especially those who feel like they are in custody, that they are in a situation that they cannot get out of, and that their gifts cannot get them out of. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would pour out your peace in such a profound way right now. Surround them and bring them to a place where they can legitimately say that it's okay that they don't understand because they know that you understand and it makes sense to you. God, there's no way we can get there without your help. And we ask for it. We need you, Lord.